Thanks for checking out the Relentless Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself or do you know someone who is a great storyteller? Like a great storyteller. You know what I mean? Not just someone who like has a lot of stories, but somebody who's like, if they were there, you want them to be the one to tell it. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody knows that person who's not a great storyteller who tries to talk about something and you're like, man, you left out the best part, right? Or uh, you, you know that person who like interrupts, like you're trying to tell a story and you're like, so these guys, and they walk up to the car and guess what they said? And before you can say it, that other person's like, they said, get out. And you're like, dude, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I think everybody enjoys a good storyteller. Now, now hundreds of years ago, uh, a good storyteller was like gold because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have movies or TV or anything like that. It was just what a person could tell you. And so good storytellers were a big, big deal. Now we kind of, you know, you would kind of look at that as maybe like a really good movie director or something. Somebody who can really direct this crazy, really good, like, like I think of Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, like the big time director. He's kind of like the most famous one. He would be the modern equivalent of a good storyteller. Why? Because we, as people, we love stories. Even as kids, we love bedtime stories. Anybody ever get told a bedtime story when you were a kid? If you didn't, then man, maybe you had a rough home life. And I'll tell you a bedtime story later. You just, you just FaceTime me as you're laying down, and I'll be like, there once was a princess. And you'll be like, thanks, PK. Even if you're a dude, you'll appreciate the, the princess story. I don't know why or where that was going. But anyway, a good story makes all the difference, especially if you were there to experience it. You, you felt it, but the story is the best part. Sometimes we get back from stuff like Lyft, like we did this past weekend, and it's like, man, you won't believe what happened? And then it really stinks if you weren't there. Like, how many of you weren't at Lyft, but you've heard about Lyft, and you're like, man, shut up about Lyft, right? Or anything maybe that we've done. Maybe, like, this is just a side note. Uh, go to stuff, and you will be there for the stories. But whatever. Um, so last week, uh, we got the chance to hear my wonderful, amazing, beautiful wife, who's not here tonight, but she will listen to this podcast. So y'all just make some noise real quick for Christy. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, cool. She'll hear that later and be like, oh, so thank you. You probably got me out of future problems. All right, so last week she talked about a couple things, but one of the most important things she talked about was that all of us have a story. We, she kicked off kind of this whole series that we're talking about called My Story. Yeah, so we learned last week through Christy that all of us have a story. All of us, are our lives are like a book, and there's chapters in that book. There's events in that book. There's things that are necessary that fit into our story and that no matter how much we would like to remove some things from that story, God is the author of our story. We think we're writing our own story. We think we're making our own decisions, but ultimately God kind of has a plan for our lives and there's kind of a, a, a pattern to things. And if you don't believe that, uh, give it some time or come talk to me and I'll prove it to you, but we can get into that later. Because um, one of the most important things she touched on is that we can't change what's been written. Like what's, what's in the previous books, it's there, it's written. God can, but what we can do is affect what will be written. And so that was a really cool thing. It's on podcast. If you, it's on our, the podcast app. If you uh, listen to podcasts at all, if you got a phone, go to it. It's the Relentless Podcast. Just search that and uh, you'll find it and you can catch up on that. This week, we're going to take a, a little bit different look at my story. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about know your story. Everybody say no. Your story. Sarah, I even heard you. Good job. 
All right. Know your story. Throughout our lives, we will go through many different experiences. We could probably each sit down and talk through hundreds of different things that you and I have been through. Maybe at the same time, we've been through similar experiences. Oh, we have that in common. I've been there too. You've been to Disney World? Me too. It's amazing. Or we could sit down and talk about the experiences that we have that are different. Maybe you've been through things I haven't been through. Maybe I've been places that you've never been. We are a collection. Our lives are a collection of experiences. And, um, some are easy to tell a story about. Sometimes we go through something and it's just like, that's the first thing we want to do is go home and tell somebody. Other things are really hard to put into words. Have you ever tried to describe something or put something into words that you found yourself lacking the words to, to describe? You know, like, like the only words you could come up with was uh, speechless or, you know, I just don't know what to say. Uh, particularly, this is difficult when emotional things come up. Um, have you ever had a friend who lost someone close to them? And then, you, you know, you don't, I hate, the, I don't hate those moments, but I have a hard time coming up with the right words to say. And I speak for a living, you know, because really sometimes there just aren't really enough words to accurately explain what I feel or what they're feeling or, or sum it up. But it's a practice, it's a discipline that we want to talk about. Um, ser- similarly, it's like that with Christ. When we experience things as Christians, especially stuff like took place at Lyft this weekend, sometimes those encounters, sometimes you have a moment where you encounter Christ or Jesus or God or whatever, however you want to describe it, in a very real way. But then if somebody was to ask you, like maybe you got home from Lyft and your parents said, hey, how was Lyft? And you were like, oh, it was good. Okay, well, what happened? Um, man, God was real. You know, and it's like, okay, like give me an example. Um, Man, he was just so amazing, right? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? And you're like, I know it was good. I know I felt some stuff. It was real. I don't have any words. Like, it was just, yeah. You know? Like, you're just like, man, I mean, yep. You know, that's all you have. Why? Because sometimes you can have an encounter that is extremely real, is extremely profound. It marks you. Um, and it even sometimes makes it different, especially within, a, within church or within, you know, the relationship with Jesus. When we encounter God, it should change us. It should lead to some change in our behavior. People will notice those things. And it draws that, that inquisitive nature out in people, especially if you were really not the greatest person. You encounter Christ and then all of a sudden things are different. Somebody's got to notice that. Whether it's your family or your friends or people you used to do things with that you're like, I don't really feel like I should do those things anymore. Somebody's going to notice. And when they do, they're going to probably be led to a place where they ask, hey, why are you acting different? Now, they may say it in a hundred different ways, but that's essentially what they're asking. The trick is at that point, we have to have an answer. We have to have a story ready to tell. First Peter says this. It's in chapter 3, uh, 15. It's on the screen. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. Now that's a really important part. Like that's not even like the main point of what I'm talking about, but I like how, and I'll look at this with you. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks what you're li- why you're living the way you are. That's good. So if you're a Christian and you don't do certain things that maybe the people in your school do or the people in your family do and you live differently, be ready because at some point that's going to come up. People notice differences. You notice differences about other people all the time. Things that aren't like the way you do them, you notice them immediately. It's almost instinctive. So people are going to notice and the closer you are to them, the the, the sooner it'll be before they will ask you why. When they do, be ready to tell them. But 
with the utmost courtesy. One translation says with love and kindness. Have you ever had somebody who had a different opinion, opinion than you tell you their opinion without love and kindness? Right? Like ask your parents who are probably on Facebook about people telling you their opinions without love and kindness. You know, you ever had an opinion where somebody's like, I think you're stupid and this is why. They probably didn't do it with the most love and kindness. People sometimes, uh, they hear that, even Christians, they hear that first part. Okay, look, I'm going to tell somebody what I believe, but they miss the love and kindness part. That's not part of what I'm talking about, but I just want to throw that in just in case. So rarely though, and this is where I want to go with this, rarely do we actually think through how to explain something before we're put into that circumstance. What I mean is uh, we, we have an encounter, like maybe at Lyft we ha- have this moment, the altar time's great, the speaker's really just talking to you, maybe somebody prayed for you and they said something that was just, man, profound. And we, we take that in and we experience it and maybe we even mark that mentally like, man, I don't want to forget this experience, I don't want to forget this moment, I don't want to forget how I felt in this moment. But like I said earlier, when you go home and your parents ask what happened, we don't get to a place where not only do we feel it, do we in, internalize it, but we learn how to process it and talk about it. And the reason is, like I said, somebody's going to come ask you about why you believe what you believe. Somebody wants to know your story. And if you wait until they ask to come up with the words to put together your story, you're going to find yourself without the words. Um, let me give you an example. So if somebody was to ask you, um, hey, like, like you're really hungry, and somebody's to say, hey, are you hungry right now? And you're like, yeah, how hungry? Man, I'm like very hungry. And then they get you like a cheeseburger, like a Whataburger, like patty melt meal with like, maybe she don't like the patty melt. What do you like? What do you like? Honey butter chicken biscuits. Oh, honey butter chicken biscuits. If you never had that, get one of those. It'll, it'll change your life. But if somebody were to ask you after you were really hungry, you had the honey butter chicken biscuits with the, with the sauce, right? Naomi, is that what you said? I don't know. She's on point. I got it. Anyway, you had that, and somebody were to ask you, hey, after you've had that food, how do you feel? You go, good. Describe how you feel. Really good, right? Because you haven't really thought about There's probably descriptive words out there to explain that feeling, but you haven't really thought about it, so you're just like, good. You know, if you, the more you think about it, it's hard to describe those kind of things. Um, and let me give you a couple other examples, because so, here's the thing. Words, the English language especially, but uh, really any language, have so many words, so many opportunities, so many ways to describe things that can more accurately tell the tale or paint a picture than what we typically do. If you have one of those English teachers that has like the charts on their wall, sometimes you'll see like, here's a hundred different words to use instead of very. Like instead of it's very good, it's exquisite. Instead of, you know what I mean? Anybody have those teachers? I had one of those teachers, and now I'm kind of a word nerd like that. But let me give you a couple of examples from books that, that, that just kind of paint a picture in words because these people have taken the time to think about this. Let me read this one to you. It says, out of the gravel. I'm going to read this like dramatically. Are you ready? This is, this is a new like fine arts category, dramatic reading. I'm taking the iPad out of the stand for this one. Here we go. Out of the gravel. There are peonies, that's a flower, peonies growing. They come up through the loose gray pebbles, their buds testing the air like snail's eyes, then swelling and opening, huge dark red flowers all shining and glossy like satin. Then they burst and fall to the ground. It's talking about a flower. Like that's super descriptive about a flower, right? That's a lot of words. Okay, let me give you another one because y'all didn't get it yet. It's okay. Behind one door, Tom Skelton, age 13, stopped and listened. 
The wind outside nested in each tree, prowled the sidewalks in invisible treads like unseen cats. Tom Skelton shivered. Everybody shiver. I don't know what that was. That's all I can do. Anyone could see that the wind was a special wind this night, and the darkness took on a special feel because it was all Hallow's Eve. Right? I was just talking about a dude standing in the wind. But that got a little creepy for a second. I can't even, like, do it justice. But here we go. Last one. I want you to, like, picture what they're talking about here. Alice has hands like a bricklayer, sturdy long fingers and calluses and muscle, all the white and inconsequential scars that come from 20 years spent climbing around in limestone quarries, shale quarries, road cuts, scars and the damage the sun does to skin, the fine wrinkles and her nails thick and nubby, a fresh Band-Aid wrapped around her left index finger which is kind of gross, but they just describe somebody's hands. Like I can picture, if I read that, I can picture those hands in my head because they did such a good job describing them. Wording is everything. Say that with me. Say wording is everything. To accurately describe things that are not easily describable, it is very important to make sure that you think about the wording. Think about how you're going to say the things you want to say. How much more than if we're just talking about some people's hands, some weird lady's hands or some flower in the ground, how much more should we think about the wording of our story, of our encounters with Christ? Because the truth is, whether you already have, and many of you have already had some sort of a moment where you felt God in a very real way, awesome. You need to think about how you want to word that when somebody asks you, because they will ask. If you've never encountered God, then you also want to think about the way things are going, because there will come a time. The longer you seek him, the more your chances are of encountering him in a way that completely changes everything in your life. And when that happens, you are going to need to figure out how to talk about it because people will notice. The things we encounter, the things we go through in life require us to talk about them. And in order to do that excellently, and not just so that we can sound good and tell a good story, but so that those hearing our story can be affected by it, We have to think about how we say things. So with that in mind, this past weekend we had Lyft. And so I asked a couple of people to just kind of come up and tell a little bit about what they encountered. Just kind of what they felt, uh, what they got out of Lyft. This isn't like a, hey, let me get up here and show you how great a speaker I am. But honestly, for those of you that went to Lyft and for those of you that didn't, I think it's important to talk about our story, to talk about what we encountered. Was, Was Lyft just a fun weekend where we played live Fortnite and threw water balloons and did all kinds of cool stuff, and Trace and the band was amazing. Where's Trace at? There, he's over there. They were great. Uh, Nate was awesome, the speaker. Uh, it, was it more than that? Was it more than just a, a collection of the things that made up Lyft? Was it the moments that changed lives? And it should have been. So with that in mind, I've got a couple of people I'm going to ask to come up and talk. Uh, first, would you give, uh, make some noise for Naya Deli Munoz? Naya Deli Munoz? Come on, Naya. She's all the way in the back of the room, so it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute. Come on, Naya. She didn't know I was going to ask her to go first, but she's tough. She was just up on stage. She's going to be all right. Keep clapping until she makes it. (laughs) You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You didn't forget. You're good. All right. All right. She's here. Stop. So here's the deal. Naya, tell everybody just kind of where you were going into Lyft and, and what you experienced and what you learned. Not prepared. Okay. Um, 
going into Lyft, I was really, uh, I felt like God was mad at me, uh, which, I mean, I knew he wasn't mad at me. I just felt like he was a little bit disappointed in me uh, for the things that I was doing. Not like I was, like, doing anything really, really bad. I just wasn't doing, you know, Christian, Christian things, kind of, for Lyft. And um, I just felt like God was really disappointed in me. And then the first night, um, Nate was talking about how God wasn't mad at you. And I was like, wow, that hit the spot. Um, it was perfect, actually. He was like, God isn't mad at you. And, like, he had, like, these, like, bullet points. And, um, uh, yeah, they really hit the spot because they were like, God isn't mad at you. And I was like, great, like, God isn't mad at me. And, it, and it's not like I just came home and I was like, okay, God's not mad at me. I'm going to continue doing what I was doing. I actually, um, yeah, it's not like I came home and I was, like, continue, continuing doing the same things that I was doing before. I just knew that if I did mess up, you know, I wasn't, like, purposely trying to mess up just because I knew he was going to forgive me. I, um, I just knew that if I did mess up again that he wasn't going to be, like, mad at me and be like, oh, you're going to hell. You know what I mean? So that's, like, the main thing that I got out of it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Give her a hand. Yeah, that was fine. Now, just so you, in case you're worried, we didn't like like practice this, like here's what you're going to say. But we were talking about it earlier today, because she, earlier today, and, and I'm going to use her as an example here in a minute, but I'll tell you now. So earlier today, I was like, hey, you want to come up and talk? And she's like, yeah, like Lyft was really good. And I said, okay. So I texted her that the other day. So then earlier today, I was like, hey, how are you feeling about tonight? She's like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I'm like, well, what did you get out of Lyft? Was it good? She's like, it was great. What was great about it? And she did like many of you do, and you're like, uh... I don't know. I just know it was great. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. So I said, all right, Friday night, what did Nate talk about? He talked about the heart of the father and how God loves us and, and, and the relationship there. And she goes, oh yeah. So when he said that, and then she started talking about what she just told you, how, you know, I felt like God was mad at me and all this. And I just let her talk for about five minutes. I'm not even saying anything. And she just finally, I was like, that was great. Say exactly that. Like it was amazing. And the point that that I'm making out of her example, which I was going to make later, but she beat me to it, is that sometimes until we're asked, we don't really get to a place where we've thought about how to phrase things. We know we had a great encounter. And maybe we're not talking about Lyft. Maybe we're talking about when you first met Jesus, when you really first decided, hey, this thing is real. I'm going to do this. Um, Maybe you've never actually been asked that. and, And that's okay. You will eventually. But if you wait until you're eventually asked, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, oh, I like Jesus because, I mean, he's Jesus. You know, which is not, <laughs> it's not a terrible answer. But if you're talking to somebody who needs to know this, maybe sometimes when you, when you ask yourself, why do, I, why do I really believe in Jesus? What, do I, what did I really experience, Naya? What did I really get out of Friday night? She starts to go, oh, when he talked about this, it helped me with that. And all of a sudden, people who have felt like God was mad at him go, oh, I felt like that too. What did you get out of it? Oh, well, I felt like I was mad at me, but then I learned that he's not. He gives grace and he gives forgiveness. And so she could have just totally spoken into somebody's life, just taking the time a little bit to think about what she's going to say. Cool. All right. Next up, give it up for Amanda. Amanda Licona. Come on, Amanda. You can do it. Now look, y'all. I'll warn you ahead of time. Amanda, you may never, if you don't know Amanda, you've probably never heard Amanda talk. Because Amanda sometimes, come on, come on up. Sometimes Amanda can be a little bit quiet. But if you're in fine arts, you've definitely heard Amanda talk because she's doing a spoken word this year and she's going to do it with some authority. So Amanda, here you go. It's on. Tell everybody just a little bit about uh, what was Lyft like for you. 
um, when I had gone to Lyft, like, to me, I was just, like, a girl who didn't, like, who, like, believed in God, but, like, wasn't close. Like, I didn't have, like, an experience or anything like that. And, like, <clears throat> the first night, like Naya said, when he was talking about, like, forgiveness and, like, starting over and stuff, like, how it's not your fault, like, I got, like, I don't know, gets nervous. And so when they called us up to the altar, like, you're good. To start over, um, the night before, I told myself, like, that's what I wanted, like, to start over, and that, like, that's what God wanted me to do, and I had gone up there, and I just started praying to, like, hear him and stuff, and I heard him, and he was like, well, you're forgiven, you know, like, like, you could start over, like, your sins are forgiven and stuff, and, like, the night ended, and ever since then, like, I feel like I've been going down like the right path and like not starting where I was before. It's good. Yeah, give her a hand. Come on. You did great. You did great. She's sick. She's like, I'm, I'm fighting through a cough. So, uh, so what I hope that you notice, and, and really, I'm sure Amanda experienced the same thing Naya did. At first, when you go, when I asked Amanda, I texted her, I said, hey, you want to you talk about Lyft? I'm sure she was probably doing the same thing, like, uh, yeah, what do I say? You know, it takes some time to think about it. But after having thought about it, you can phrase that. You can put things into words. Um, when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you have a, a, an experience that goes beyond just natural, normal things and is supernatural, is in the spiritual, you've got to do more than just remember that moment. Because you don't maybe know this at the time, but that moment, that encounter with Christ is, more, is about more than just you in that moment. It's more than just, man, I'm so glad I experienced this. I want to never forget this. No, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it can spill over into the lives of people around you. Ever, if you ever get a chance to read the Bible, I, I, you know, you should. Um, but if you ever look at the New Testament, almost every single person that Jesus has an encounter with, that he met one-on-one, not only did it change that person's life, but that person immediately went out and changed the lives of others through their story. And we'll look at one example here in a second. Um, but the, the, point, the last thing I was going to say there is you have to work on putting into words. The, you have to work on articulating it so that others can understand it. Um, let me give you the, the example that I was going to talk about with Jesus. So in the book of Luke, chapter 8, we read about a guy who is demon-possessed. Now, that's, if you've, like, that's pretty crazy. And, and it goes into a lot of things. I'm going to kind of skip through this story because there's a lot of context here. There's a lot of material here. But I want to hit some highlights and kind of, uh, kind of let you know what's going on. You can put the scripture back up there. You're good. It says in Luke 8, uh, starting in verse 26, it says, As he stepped out of the boat, that's Jesus. Jesus is in a boat. They're crossing the sea. He gets out of the boat, jumps on the shore. As he stepped out of the boat and onto land, a madman, say madman. That's the demon-possessed guy. A madman from town met him. He was a victim of demons. And if you're like, that only exists in movies. I've seen it. It does exist. We can talk about it another time. Anyway. He was a victim of demons. He hadn't worn clothes for a long time. Everybody say, ew. Yeah, he hadn't worn clothes for a long time, nor lived at home. He lived in a cemetery. They figured this dude is crazy. Let's push him out of our town and just put him out in the middle of the cemetery. He could live out there and just not bother anybody. Uh, it actually, in the next verse, and we'll skip over it for our purposes here, but it actually says they tried to restrain him, tried to like, Treat him like a dog, but he kept getting out. He kept getting loose. And so that's why they had to remove him from the city. Anyway, 
They came to Jesus. Oh yeah, I skipped a part real quick. So Jesus encounters this dude who is a madman, demon-possessed, so badly that they kicked him out of the town. The, we, yeah, so Jesus encounters the guy. He walks up to the guy. The guy calls him out, basically says, Jesus, why are you here? He knows who he is. The demons recognize him. Say, Jesus, son of God, why are you here bothering me? And Jesus, in an instant, talks to the dude and tells the demons to leave. He casts out the demons from this dude. It's a really crazy story. There's a lot of details that I want to get into right now. But it's a really crazy story. I encourage you to go read it. So he clears the demons out of this dude's life. And for the first time, maybe ever, that really doesn't give us context, but for the first time in a long, long time, this dude is thinking in his right mind again. He's no longer the crazed madman. He's back to normal. And so the people in the town are hearing about this. The the guy's back to normal. There's people running back into the town being like, you guys got to come check this out. The people get out there, and this is where we'll pick up this verse. It says, they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had been sent or sent out of. Sitting there at Jesus' feet, wearing decent clothes and making sense. I just want to point out that I know some non-demon-possessed people that don't wear decent clothes or make any sense, but never mind. That's a stupid joke. All right. Wearing decent clothes and making sense. So Jesus got back in the boat. So Jesus, picture this. Jesus walks up, this demon-possessed dude. He goes, demons get out of this guy. The demons get out of this guy. He puts on some clothes. I, I don't know. Like I picture it's not accurate at all, but I picture like he just had some clothes and was like, all right, let me put some pants on. You know, like, I, I'm sorry, I was acting all crazy. It just, all of a sudden, he's sane, and he sits at the feet, and he's like, talk to me, Jesus. So the people come out, and they see this guy. This would be a great moment that Jesus would be like, let me tell you the ways of being a follower of me. No, Jesus gets back in the boat and sets off. He's like, all right, you good? I'm out. Gets in the boat and sets off. It says, the man whom he had delivered from the demons asked to go with him. Let me, take me with you. I, I don't want to be here. I want to be. But he, that's Jesus, but Jesus sent him back saying, go home, and I want you to pay attention to this part right here. But Jesus sent him back saying, go home and tell everything God did in you. So he went back and preached all over town everything Jesus had done in him. Now, I want to point out, Jesus never comes back and preaches to that town later. Like, like you would think, okay, maybe it wasn't that time for Jesus to go into that village and save them. No, 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 he never goes back. He crosses the sea again, but just that's it. He never goes into that town. So what that tells me is Jesus transforms the life of this man. And then rather than Jesus himself having to go, he says, no, you, you take your story, take your example and go tell your people, the people that only you can reach, the people that only you know and live with your home, go tell them what you've encountered and who you've encountered. For all of us in this room that have ever encountered Christ, this is a perfect example of what is required of us. We encounter Christ, whether it's in a church service, at Lyft, at Coram Deo, at camp, at anything you've been a part of. I was saved at nine years old at kids camp. That's the first time I had an experience with God. And what is required of us is not to just take that moment in and make the changes. Those are all great things. But then we need to work on that story. Notice it says, go and tell your story. Go and, and the man went and preached. He didn't just go back to the town and be like, hey, y'all, man, Jesus is good. And they're like, well, what's so good about him? I don't know. Like, I think he had to think about it. He had a story to tell. I'm sure they were like, is that the dude that was like naked and crazy? So there was a little bit of like an already pre-established story there. But something tells me that he knew a little bit about his story. He knew where he had been. He knew what he had experienced. And he could tell them now, look at the difference. 
in each and every one of our lives, an encounter with Christ in our lives should tell us where we were, what we experienced, and then what we found afterward. Every single one of you, no matter how you've encountered Christ, no matter where, you have a past, you have a present, and then you have a future, right? And so what I want you to start to do, what we're learning through this series, is that if all of us, we learned last week, have a story to tell, it's important to us, it's our responsibility for all of us to understand what that story is and learn to tell it well. Because there are people whose lives are waiting for you to tell a story in order for, you, for them to be confirmed to move on. This one guy actually manages to save an entire village that Jesus never steps foot in. All because of his story, because of his encounter. This is what's possible with our story. There's an entire village. Now, I'm not, I don't mean like random village, you know what I mean? A figurative village waiting to hear your story. Our story is a weapon, is a tool that can be used to reach other people. But it requires practice, like anything. Um, it is our experiences, what we go through in our story, that not only helps us, but it can confirm or validate or, or, or like let people know what they're feeling too is legitimate. Some of you have been in our small groups before, and you've, you've maybe felt some things, and it wasn't until you were in your small group and heard somebody else talk about what they're going through that you were like, oh, I'm going through the same thing. And it almost made you feel like, man, it's so nice to know I'm not the only messed up person in the room. I'm not the only crazy one that's dealt with this. And you ever felt that before? When somebody talks about something, you're like, me too. Yes, I'm not the only weirdo, right? It's validating, it's confirming when we know there are other people feeling the same things we do. And let me just tell you this right now, and this is super important. This is a truth that most, most people won't ever catch, but I want you to catch this real quick. It'll be on the screen. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone wants to know God. I'll just let it sit there for a second. Everyone wants to know God. And now your first reaction may be, well, what about the people that I know that don't want anything to do with God? They don't seem like they want anything to do with God. Look, that doesn't mean that everyone secretly is like, I really wish I was a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Everyone at the basest, most core level wants to truly believe that God exists, that he loves them. Now, they may have different ideas about what that looks like, but every one of us wants to know that there is a creator. There is some being out there bigger than ourselves that cares about us, that loves us. Especially, and let me tell you why. Because if you read the Bible and you read what it is that it says about God, that, that, that he's loving, that he's providing, that he cares for us, that he sees and meets all of our needs. Who doesn't want that? Who, who says, no, I don't want something super powerful that can do anything that I need, that can like put me on this path? Who says, you know what? Supernatural being... I got this. I'm totally cool. I've got it all together. I can run my own life. Like most people that I know that I've ever met that actively say those things are usually the most, are usually the ones that are the most broken up, the most troubled, the most desperate for something to take the wheel of their life. Now I did, didn't mean to do kind of a Jesus take the wheel thing, but I almost did. So we'll just acknowledge it and move on. Everybody, even the kid that you're like, there's no way that person wishes God was real. Yes, they do. And the more that they fight it, the more true it is. Now, that doesn't mean you go tell people, you really know you need Jesus. Because most people, especially people that aren't saved, aren't necessarily aware of that need until they recognize it. 
the reason that that's true is because we were created, we believe, the Bible says, and I believe this because I've seen it and, and, and I believe it, that we were created in the image of God. We were created in the likeness and similarities of God. We were created with a deep need, an existential, instinctive, base level, who we are at our very core, a need for God. And people that don't realize that, they still have that need, but they look to fill it with other things. That's why people move from addictions to hobbies to habits to all kinds of stuff because we are all programmed to fill the need in our life with something. And until we find that encounter, that genuine relationship with Christ, it's never full. People, every person has that. That's why you see people that are not Christian at all but are always maybe jumping from religion to a religion. You ever seen a celebrity that seems like every five years they change religions? Like one year they're really into Buddha. And then like a few years later, they're really into Islam. And then a few years later, they're really into like, like some sort of other crazy Scientology or just Eastern religion or like, there's all these different, and you're like, what is going on? Like, did that one not suit your needs? No, it didn't. Why? Because they have some sort of a deep void in their life. They are looking to fill with something genuine. And guess what? They're finding all the things that are not genuine. What if that person who's looking to fill that void in their life is your story away from finding the only thing that will ever meet that need. People are looking for someone to validate, to confirm what they feel a need for deep down. They're looking for someone to tell them with certainty that Jesus, that this whole thing is real. You ever met somebody skeptical about Christians? Like, oh, I, don't, I don't believe in all that stuff. You probably have. There's lots of people out there. I would, con- I, I would submit, I would contend that usually the people that are the most skeptical about Christianity and about Christians are usually the people that are looking for reasons to prove it wrong because de- secretly or deeply, they really want to believe that it's true. I know because I was in that place. I went through a period of time right around your age as I was entering college where I was like, okay, I've never had maybe something that I, I just didn't feel like it was real. I need... I want to believe it's real, but all the things I'm seeing are like negative examples. You're looking for a genuine experience, a genuine real encounter. Not, not a fake thing, not, not a, somebody told me that Jesus is real, so I just believe that person blindly. No, we are looking for a genuine encounter that lets us know this thing is real. Here's what I want to wrap up. Trace, you want to come play? Is that cool? Thank you. I forgot to ask you about it. So... We're having some uh, some issues with our car right now. It's, I think the AC compressor is going out, which if you don't know cars, it just means the thing that makes the AC blow cold is going out. But I'm not a super, like, I'm not a, I'm not a really good car guy. Like, I kind of know some things. So anytime something happens, what I do is I get on Google, and I put it in my car, and I, I'm like, I start Googling answers to kind of confirm or or disprove some of my theories. So like when I first thought it was the air compressor going out, and I know if you're not a car person, you've tuned me out, but just stay with me. I'm wrapping this up. So when I first thought the, the air conditioning was having some problems, I get on Google and I'm looking through these car forums and I'm like, okay, is it this? And I'm looking for someone to either confirm or disprove based on my symptoms, my car symptoms, the assumption. I want somebody to tell me, yes, what you think it is, the, the compressor going out, is, is that's what it is so that I know. 
Because if I know what it is, then I know I can get it fixed. But if I don't know what it is, then I don't know how to deal with it. So I get on Google and I'm looking. Someone, please tell me if what I think is wrong with my car is what's actually wrong so I can go get that fixed, so I can do something about it. In the same way, there are people in this world looking for someone to confirm their suspicions. There are some people, there are people in this world looking for somebody to say, yes, this is real and genuine and actually makes a difference. And here's why. Not because the Bible says so, because I don't know if you've ever known this, but people who don't believe in Jesus don't believe the Bible. Let me just use this as a side commercial. If your defense to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible or doesn't believe in Jesus as to why they should believe in Jesus is based on the Bible, You've lost that argument. That's the, probably a class for another day. But if somebody's like, I don't believe in Jesus, why do you? And you're like, well, because John 3.16, you lost them because they don't believe in John 3.16. Conversation for another day. But a lot of it has to do with you need to tell people, not necessarily scripture right up front, you need to tell them what you know, what you've encountered. You need to tell them your story. Notice. The guy sitting at the feet of Jesus, the crazed madman, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What does Jesus do? He doesn't tell him, okay, you need to memorize the scriptures. You need to learn all of these principles, these theological things, and then you need to go tell your village about them. I'm going to make you a preacher, and I want you to learn and study and become a scholar and a theologian, and then you can go reach your town. No. He says, I want you to get up off your butt. Not, that's my version, but not his. He says, I want you to get up, I want you to go to the town, and I want you to tell people what happened in your life today. And that alone changed his entire village. What if all the people in your life that you think are so far from Christ that you think there's no way they would ever believe that, I, that this is real? They would, there's no way. They're just too skeptical. They're just too hesitant. They're just too, they, they're just too tough. They don't want anything to do with it. What if those people, all they needed to hear was your genuine account of what you encountered when you met Christ? Now, this should be a, 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 like an indicator to you. If you can't even put on a finger on, man, I don't even remember a time where Christ felt real to me, then get real with it. When you come into this place, if you've never experienced it, look, if you've never experienced what I'm talking about, what are you waiting for? That's a whole separate conversation. But I don't know about you. I can't continue. I would not continue to go into a church talk about somebody I didn't believe in or I thought was fake or I thought was real. I would either be like, either prove to me, God, that you are real in this moment, show me that you're real, or I'm walking out the door. Because I just, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to play church. I don't do this and talk about this because they pay me to, and well, I like a paycheck, so I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. No, I chose to talk about Jesus because I believe it's real. I've seen him active in my life. He talks to me on a daily basis. Now, you may be, if you haven't experienced that, you're like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, but you know what's not fun? Normal, average stuff. Like, what I mean is, like, it, it may be weird that the Holy Spirit kind of talks to me. I'll take it over just talking to myself. So, you've heard me say this before if you've been around here, but if you haven't, I'll say it again. Um, every time I talk about something, almost every, no, literally every single time I talk about something, either right before or right after I talk about it, God gives me an opportunity to practice it, to put it into practice, to, to practice what I preach, literally. Usually, sometimes, like I said, it's before, and I walk into it, and I go, man, I just experienced this. Or sometimes I finish a message, and the next day it seems like something happens where I'm like, holy cow, I just talked about this. It's the same way when you hear it. When you hear something, a new truth, or maybe a new perspective, 
them on something. God gives you an opportunity to put it into practice because he wants to see, were you really listening? And not just were you listening, but will you obey and follow through? It's a practice because I don't know if you know this, that's how God works. He will speak to you and then he will ask you to obey. So in the same way, God practices this. I'm speaking to you and he will ask you to obey. So what this means is you've got to ask yourself when you leave this place, there needs your story because if God asks you to put this in the place where you're going to practice this, that means you're going to have to share your story. That means it could be a sibling, a relative, it could be a school, like a classmate, it could be a friend. If somebody in your life needs to hear a part or your story, they need to hear part of it. So then you've got to ask, who needs to know my story? And do I know how to share that story? articulate, put the right verbiage to my story that can adequately explain what it is I feel. Now I know that you can't really box God into words, but you can kind of talk yourself through it. So as you go home, as you lay down to sleep tonight, if you're like me, you're going to process it what happened in the day, or you get up the next morning to do that, I want you to think about, what is my story? How do I put it into words? And who needs to hear it? And then be on the lookout, because you will have an opportunity to share Hope you enjoyed the message. For more from Relentless, hit subscribe or check us out on Instagram or Facebook.